You know, moving where God has called you, God has called you is a wonderful thing. Might be challenging, but it turns out good. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And as somebody who has moved quite a bit in my life, I can tell you that we moved according to God's will. And God has helped us. Well, this is Bible Discovery TV, and Corey is here as well with Ryan. And uh, Corey, what do you think? Well, I'm going to be focusing in on what it may have been like to actually live in the Babylonian exile. Ryan? Well, today I'm talking about the influence that women had in the palaces in ancient times, specifically the queen and the queen mother. Very good. Look forward to that. And we have Janice with mm -hmm. something interesting. Here we are at Friday again. That means a question of the week, a Friday wrap-up question from 2 Chronicles 33 all through to Nehemiah chapter 13. I hope you're ready. Nehemiah 11, 1 through 9. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. These are the heads of the province who dwelt in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possession in their cities, Israelites, priests, Levites, Nethanim, and descendants of Solomon's servants. Also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and of the children of Benjamin. The children of Judah, Athaiah, the son of Uzzah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of Shephtiah, the son of Mahalalel of the children of Perez, and Maaseah, the son of Baruch, the son of Kolhose, the son of Heseah, the son of Adaiah, the son of Joyarib, the son of Zechariah, the son of Shilonai. All the sons of Perez who dwelt at Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And these are the sons of Benjamin, Salu, the son of Meshalem, the son of Joed, the son of Padiah, the son of Koliah, the son of Messiah, the son of Athiel, the son of Jesheah, and after him, Gebai and Salai, 928. Joel, the son of Zichri, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Senua, was second over the city. Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Nehemiah 11, 12, and 13, these three chapters that we read going through the Bible is very exciting. And there were two important areas of concern for any ancient city. Do you know what they were? Spiritual protection and physical protection. Actually, the same today, spiritual protection and physical protection. Large cities were marked by their defensive walls and gates that protected citizens in times of war. In order to stay spiritually protected, the people of the city needed to have an allegiance with a god or a deity, so they thought. 
Now, this could be expressed in personal shrines or in public shrines and high places and special temples. But in Israel, worship was supposed to have been centralized first at the place of the tabernacle and then at Jerusalem, the Jerusalem temple. Failure to follow God diligently in this had led to the fall of Jerusalem. That fell in the first place. That's the reason why. But now Jerusalem was back and it had both the temple and it had walls. And now the struggle was to get the city occupied. Returned exiles were living in their own territory, farming the land. Well, to move into Jerusalem, this would be inconvenient and hard, and it came with a stigma. Enemies of the Jews would strike here first. Now think about this. If you come back from being exiled and you found land about a mile away from Jerusalem, good land, and you worked it, why would you want to come back to Jerusalem? So you have to understand the sacrifice involved here. Very interesting. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage because this is important as we study Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. And when you, go, when you write to us or call us, we'll send it to you or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on it and it'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations, by the way. And let me just say this, that the donations are very helpful and they help us now. So that's a choice that you've made and may God Respect your decision, he will. And may he keep you safe during this very difficult time in the economic world. Father, I pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to pray for moving in. Lord, help us today. We're going to be talking about people who are giving up their security in a sense, giving up what they've established to make a move in the direction that you called them to in Jerusalem. Help them, Lord. Today, Father, there's almost a million people living in Jerusalem and New Jerusalem. But Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to understand when they were doing it, what the, the challenge was. And help them, Lord, because that tells us what our challenges may be in the future. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen. Now, it's important to remember that Nehemiah is somebody who is completing the work of God. He says, now the leaders of the people that dwelt at Jerusalem, the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of 10. Interesting, one out of 10 to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city. And nine tenths were to dwell in the other cities. And the people blessed all the men who were willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. This brings me to the first point, moving where God has called you, where God has called you is a great privilege. We should always be ready to move to the place where God calls us. I want to tell you something. I, I grew up in a home with my father who traveled and we moved. I've lived in 15 different states, been to many different schools because we moved a lot and we understood what it meant when God would move us to another location. And so, beloved, we need, to, we need to realize that we're born in the place and we're born there as God has called us. We need to realize that God has called us to the place and the time. Very interesting. All right, let's get to some of these names. It's difficult. Forgive me if I mess them up. Sorry. If you're Hebrew, you'll forgive me. Thank you so much for that. Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 3. And these are the heads of the provinces who dwelt in Jerusalem. 
But in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possessions and their cities. The Israelites, the priests, the Levites, Nethium, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. Also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and all the children of Benjamin. And the children of Judah, Athiah, son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of Sheptiah, the son of Malhal Alel, of the children of Perez, and Messiah, son of Baruch, son of Kol Hazah, son of Hazai, son of Adiai, son of Joharab, son of Zechariah, the son of Shilonai, sons, all the sons of Perez who dwelt at Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. Now this is fascinating. Valiant men were placed in Jerusalem to keep it. You see, God has plans and places for his people to be his witnesses. Did you know that? God has designed us. Acts chapter 17 tells us this. God has designed us to be exactly where we're at as God has called us to live where we're at so that we can be witnesses to the people who are here. And so all of us can do that. Now that's a little different in today's world, but because we can reach a lot of people uh, with the internet and so on. But nevertheless, God has given us that. We need to pay attention to that. All right. It's not about us living where we want to live all the time. It's about us responding to God. All right, let's go on. Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 7. Here's what it says. And these are the sons of Benjamin. Salu, the son of Mashulam, the son of Joed, the son of Pediah, the son of Koliah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ithiel, the son of Jeshiah. After him was Gebai and Salai, 928. Joel, the son of Zechariah, was their overseer. And Judah, the sons of Shunah, was second over the city. This is absolutely amazing. You see, the people from the hard and rejected tribe of Benjamin were in Jerusalem as well. Did you notice that? Benjamin is where Saul came from. But Benjamin was also in the time of the judges where evil took place. It was a rejected tribe. We know that God has always gives us another chance. Benjamin had another chance. That's amazing. I, I, I don't, I, I can't understand the amazing grace of God. But I know that it's real. Because I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see because God's amazing grace saved me. It's very important that I know that, very important that you understand that, that we were once lost, but then we were found. And God, through his amazing grace, saw us and we responded to him. And when we did, the Holy Spirit helped us and we became Christian. Christ-like, following Jesus Christ. Very, very important. So today, praise God. And let's understand that we're called to our locations and our places to witness for Jesus Christ. 
A lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. All right, so I want to take some time today and look at what it may have been like to live in the Babylonian exile. And this isn't just a thought experiment either. There are some artifacts and some records that have been unearthed and translated that can help us kind of parse out what it may have been like to be an ancient Israelite or Judean living in the time period of the Babylonian exile, which of course, Ezra and Nehemiah are coming out of that time period and not everyone wanted to come back with them. Why? Let's find out. Beginning in 597 BC, 11 years before the destruction of Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar enacted the first wave of deportations of citizens of Jerusalem to his Babylonian empire. This first exile was a show of his power, an attempt to squash any spirit of rebellion or independence in Judah. As rebellions continued, Nebuchadnezzar would call for at least two more rounds of deportation. The biblical accounts of the exiles in Babylon follow people like the prophet Ezekiel, whose personal life isn't expounded, and the prophet Daniel, who worked in the courts of Babylon in a privileged class with some of his other Judean captives. However, only a small number of exiles were taken under the wings of Nebuchadnezzar's palace administrators. The fate of the vast majority of Judeans are not chronicled in the Bible. The biblical notes that do exist are from the prophet Jeremiah, who urges the people to settle in Babylon, participate in everyday life and commerce because God's judgment would last a while. Today, it's known that the exiled Judeans took Jeremiah's words to heart. Found ancient texts have been translated coming from a city that was variously called Judatown, the city of the Judeans, or New Jerusalem. This was one of the cities Nebuchadnezzar gave to the exiled Judeans to live in. It may have been an old abandoned city, or perhaps it was new. Either way, the exiles would have been charged with building it up and becoming profitable citizens. At first, their dependence on the Babylonians must have been great. Imagine being taken from your home and placed in a completely different country, economy, society, and environment, and asked to farm and live. Much of your farming knowledge would not apply in this new ecosystem. Your knowledge of edible and medicinal plants would be different, and you'd have to learn a new language and social political structure. Nevertheless, this is exactly what the exiles did. Today, Judean individuals are identified from Babylonian records by their names that incorporate elements of God's proper name. But not all Judeans had those names. Some family records even show children receiving Babylonian names. From the Judeans that can be recognized, there's a clear progression of success from generation to generation, beginning quite humbly with barley as their grown commodity, and then branching out to land, grain, animals, and dates as the generations go on. The fate of all Judeans was not to become successful businessmen. It's quite likely that many Judeans struggled near the bottom of society. 
Others received the designation of royal merchants, and still others found themselves in the royal records of Babylon as officials of the king himself. There was surely a variety of outcomes for exiled Judeans, but the discovery of these ancient records help us trace the lives of this remnant of Judah. So there definitely would not have been one experience for the Judeans exiled in Babylon. There was a wide range of what could have been expected and what what did happen in the outcome of the Judeans' lives. Uh, regardless, after being in exile for 70 years, you have become established in your way of life. You've become established in this new land. So it makes sense why there was some reluctance on wanting to come back to a land where you had been taken from originally. So uh, just some thoughts as we're reading through the, the final chapters of Nehemiah and just trying to make sense of some of what's going on from the human kind of emotional element of it. Yeah, it's in, and it's important to remember that when Israel in 722, when they went with the Assyrians, uh, there was a group of people that that were curious about, they, they considered the God of Israel to be the God of that land. Yes. And so the king sent back a a priest who was in yep. the area to teach them about God. Yep. And it's really interesting to see how God was connected to the land of Israel. Mm -hmm. And that's stunning for us because it's just a small little place, mm -hmm. you know. And we don't tend to think of things in those terms anymore because we're from such a different culture. Of from course. Such a different time. Of course. Mm -hmm. So then you have Judah pulled out and 70 years and they go back and not all of them go back. Nope. I mean, you had Esther who stayed over. You had Nehemiah Lots who went back. Yep. You had, I mean, just really, really something, really interesting. So that's fascinating. By the way, uh, just want to let you know about this. This is a uh, five sermons I've done called The Return about Christ. And we did them based on what's going on today and everything else. We did them in the studio for you. And if you would like your copy, you can write to us or call us, or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and get it there. Suggested donation is $30 or more. Very good. Thank you. Ryan? All right. So today I want to talk about the influence that the queen and queen mother had in the ancient world. And to do this, I want to draw your attention to a passage in Nehemiah chapter 2. And here, Nehemiah, who's a Jew, of course, is asking the king for permission to go back to rebuild his native city. Well, the king does give his permission, but the Bible says that he does so with the queen sitting beside him. Now, that's a pretty interesting note, and it might be that the queen actually influenced the king's decision here. So today's study involves the influence that high-ranking women had in the palace at that time. Check it out. Just as God elevated the Jewess Esther to a position of great power and authority in the foreign land of Persia, so too would he elevate Nehemiah. And the rising up of both individuals was for similar purpose, to help secure the future of the Israelites. While Esther became queen to King Xerxes, Nehemiah would become cupbearer to Xerxes' son and heir to the throne, Artaxerxes. The very fact that Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king means that he was a trusted advisor and high-ranking Persian official. And as the one who tasted the king's wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned, it also means that Nehemiah enjoyed a position close enough to the king that he was able to communicate freely with him. Still, what Nehemiah was about to do was very risky business, because the etiquette of the Persian court was very strict. Nevertheless, he entreats the king to send him back to his own city so that he can rebuild it. To Nehemiah's great relief, 
the king with the queen at his side grants his request. This detail the Bible gives regarding the presence of the queen is by no means irrelevant. In fact, it may suggest that she positively influenced the king. This is certainly in line with the traditional role of the queen, which was to influence her husband to follow a kinder and gentler way. But just who was this woman? In regards to her title, the Hebrew word for queen in this passage is used only here and in Psalm chapter 45 verse 9 and means royal bride. It's actually a loanword from Akkadian, which literally means woman of the palace. The Aramaic equivalent is found only in Daniel chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, and verse 23, where it is translated as wives and concubines. Although it was customary for the Persian emperors to have several wives and concubines, only one was elevated to the position of queen. As far as her identity is concerned, Titius, a Greek who lived at the Achaemenid court, informs us that the name of Artaxerxes' queen was Demaspia, and that he had at least three concubines. Significantly, the Achaemenid court was notorious for the great influence exercised by the royal women, whether that influence be positive or negative. Thus, this queen likely had a great positive influence on Artaxerxes, which certainly would have helped Nehemiah's cause. Also, since Esther was the queen of the previous king Xerxes, and stepmother to Artaxerxes, it's very possible that she also influenced the present king and queen to be favorably disposed to the Jews. Ahasuerus died only 13 years after Esther became queen, so she no doubt lived far into the reign of her stepson Artaxerxes. Thus, in the ancient world, the queen, as the chief woman of the palace, greatly influenced their kings. In Nehemiah's case, God clearly had already gone before his people, the Israelites, to make their paths straight for the return to the Promised Land. So the Lord God raised up both Esther and Nehemiah to powerful and influential positions in the Persian Empire, which helped to secure the future of the Israelites. And it seems Esther's influence may have even continued on into the time of Nehemiah. It could be that Esther as stepmother and perhaps even queen mother to Artaxerxes would have had a very positive influence on both him and his queen. And in turn, Artaxerxes' queen would have probably also positively influenced him, as the Bible seems to hint at in Nehemiah 2.6. The accounts of Esther and Nehemiah remind us that God is sovereign and therefore is always in control, even in the face of evil. Yes, and even after Esther, the, the king in Esther's uh, book, uh, has a holiday named after her, and she's not somebody who would be typically backing off but she was elevated as somebody to celebrate. And so she would have been very involved in that. And so how she affected the empire was critical. Yeah, for sure. And it really is interesting. And I, I just find that fascinating because the word God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. Mm -hmm. so, but he's uh, clearly at work. I mean, he is. That book, you he know? is at work. Mm -hmm. And that's the one book that was not found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So mm -hmm. that's really something. Yeah. I find this whole thing, we could have a discussion on this all night, but <laughs> I find this whole thing absolutely incredibly mm -hmm. fascinating. Anyway, uh, Corey, you do something on the weekend. I do, yeah. So my husband and I put together the weekend show, which is a show that 
aims to answer questions that pop up as we're reading through the Bible, and we also aim to discuss some viewer questions as well. I also、uh, pop up online a ten-minute recap of the weekly reading. So if you've fallen behind, I know that we go through the Bible really fast, so it's pretty normal to fall behind. So I do these ten-minute recaps, so you can just watch the video, get caught back up on your reading, and start. Fresh Monday morning. Yeah, and I, I just want to say that I love your recaps and I love your weekend program. Thank you. And they, your, can, they can find them on YouTube. I forgot to say that it's on YouTube. They look up your name. Yes, it's just my name on YouTube, Corey Babetchko. Okay, but they can also find them on Bible Discovery TV. And so Bible Discovery TV is on BD Family and Friends. Right. BD. <clears throat> that's Bible Discovery BD. Family and friends. Yes,、uh, that's a website we just reserved today, and we've got it set up. And so, but if they want to comment, well, yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. If you want to comment, <laughs> but if you want to see the program, that's a second, really、out. important part, right? Yeah, because it's that participation.、Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very good. good. Lots of ways. But speaking of participation, of here we go. The question、uh -oh. of the、Thank、week.、Y'all. The question of the week、it、feels like we need to have an echo. We need some kind of or opener something. or something. Something, yeah, yeah. something yeah. to up the ante or yeah, emphasize how、uh -huh. important it is. How important it is because I have a lot of people out there. We have a lot of people out there that love to learn、yeah. through. Yes, Greg in、Ask、North Carolina. Questions. He、oh, is somebody. So many. He, That's I'm、true. telling you.、And、we've been praying for Greg's wife, so we、yes. hope that she's feeling better. Makes you feel better. All right. This is kind of a small detail. Okay, so you might want to have your Bible on speed thumb through, or scroll down if you put your Bible on your phone. Well, that's here it comes, but you guys are not allowed to. That's true. That's true. All right, so here it is. After the death of his father, King Hezekiah, Manasseh became king, and he reigned fifty-five years in Jerusalem. We know that. I just said that. Manasseh. 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 How old was he when he became king? Was he twelve? Was he eighteen? Or was he twenty-four? We know that he reigned fifty-five years. But how old was he when he became king? Twelve, eighteen, or twenty-four? They're getting really good at this.、Mm -hmm. They really are. I saw him talking over here. How about a dozen hints? A dozen, a dozen <laughs> hints. Hmm. Does that mean you choose number one that、mm -hmm. he was twelve years old? Was that what you would have chosen?、Uh -huh. mm. And how about you at home? Would you have? Oh, I'm over here. Would you have chosen that? All right. I'm going to read from Second Chronicles 33, verse one. And actually, you can also read this in Second Kings 21, verse one. Here it is. Manasseh was. Twelve years old when he became king, and he reigned fifty-five years in Jerusalem. Second Chronicles thirty-three, verse one. If you got the answer right, great. If you didn't, next Friday, join again. We'll see you on the next program. You know, when we pray today, after listening to the prayers and seeing the prayers of other people, we need to think about the Lord. And Father, we pray today, as we think about you, you have called us, 
And we want to be people who willingly respond to your call, your call on our lives. So help us today and teach us how to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.